Warning. This podcast may prove to be damaging to the comfort of closely held presuppositions. Remember to practice Acts 17.11 and examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. From the Ancient Book of Enoch, Chapter 1 Behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his holy ones, to execute judgment upon all, and to destroy all the ungodly, and to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness which they have ungodly committed and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Greetings. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website can be found at scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives, and that's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today, we are going to work through a book that we've worked through multiple times over the years. But it's really, I tell you, it, it was a, an epistle written by Jude. So we're, we're looking at the book of Jude. Obviously, Jude was writing to a specific people of his day. But if there's an epistle that needs to be taken seriously today in our time by Christians and the church Uh, It's this one. Uh, So today we're going to be looking at Jude and kind of dissecting it a little bit, digging a little bit deeper, which is going to cause us to need to look at uh, 2 Peter, who talks about some of the same issues, Um, a passage by Paul in the book of Romans, Genesis chapter 6, the book of Enoch, and an ancient historical book. Uh, which is recommended by the Bible as a historical source twice in the Old Testament, known as the Book of Jasher. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Jude addresses basically apostasy. He addresses apostasy on the part of people. He reminds us of historical examples of apostasy and how God dealt with those examples. He deals with apostate, apostate teachers And then he ends with kind of encouraging true believers and comforting them and continuing in their duty. And so that's what is on the agenda for today. The book of Jude is actually only 25 verses long. But even this morning, in the 30 minutes we have, we won't be able to go into every little important detail. And kind of and kind of study it out, uh, but we're going to do kind of a crash course uh, this morning. So, with that said, let's begin. I'm going to start with reading it, and we're going to be diving all over the place uh, for information. So, let's start verse one. I'm going to read it from the King James Bible. Jude the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. 
to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace, love, be multiplied. So we can start right away with who's he writing to. You know, that's one of the first things you should do when you're studying a book. Who's, who's the author and who's the audience? The author's Jude. He identifies himself as the brother of James. And he's writing it to all those who are sanctified by God, who are preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So it's, it's, an, it's a, what we would call a general epistle meaning it's not written to a specific church or anything like that. It's just written to people of faith in general. Now he's going to deal with some apostasy. Verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So what he's getting at is here, he's like, I've, I'm, I'm urging you to contend to defend the true faith because there's going to be apostate people coming in with other things. Here's what he says in verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who before of old ordained to this condemnation ungodly men. Listen to this. This is what these mega churches are doing. This is what a large percentage of pastors are doing. This is what a, what a large percentage of Christians are doing. Here's what they do. Here's the thing he's fired up about. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, what he's saying here is, I'm, I've, I'm trying to get you to defend the faith against these people who pervert the grace of God. Lasciviousness. What does lascivious means mean? It's a behavior completely lacking in moral restraint, usually with the implication of sexual behavior. So lasciviousness is in in a nutshell, unrestrained sexual immorality. They pervert the grace of God so that they can continue in their perversions. That's what he's getting at. It's, it's very, very clear, and it'll get more clear as we study because the two apostasies that he's going to bring up in history are what happened in Genesis chapter 6 when the angels came down and impregnated women and the giants were born. And what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's saying you need to contend for the faith. You need to defend the faith against these people who have crept into the church. Crept in amongst you. Who pervert the grace of God. They turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. Into sexual perversion. So he brings that up. And he's going to remind them that, hey, even though God rescued the people out of Egypt, he still destroyed them in the wilderness when they walked in disobedience. Like, actions matter. Don't pervert the grace of God and have a casual, nonchalant attitude towards sin. And if you think that's not true, let me give you an example. That's what he's saying. 
I will therefore, verse 5, put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. Okay, so he's going through examples. He rescued them out of Egypt. They were disobedient. He destroyed them. Verse 6. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitations, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. That's the second example. What angels left their first habitation? Left their natural habitation. Left their own habitation. That have been reserved for judgment. He's talking about what happened in Genesis chapter 6. We've been through this a billion times. So I'm not going to go through all the details. You can go to the YouTube channel and search out all the things I've talked about in relation to giants. And I break all this down very clearly. But if you go to Genesis chapter 6 verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God, in Hebrew, B'nai Elohim, it's used a couple of times in the Old Testament, it's always referring to angels, came in unto the daughters of men and bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Peter addresses this exact same issue that Jude is bringing up. So, Jude brings up, hey, remember the angels that didn't keep their habitation? They've been locked away to, in everlasting chains under darkness into the great day of judgment. Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And just in case you think he's not talking about the sin of the angels during the flood, that sentence isn't over yet, to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. We'll come back to that passage here in a minute. He continues on, but so does Jude. So going back to Jude. Here's the third example of historical apostasy. Verse 7. Even as Sodom, back to the book of Jude, verse 7, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, which is sexual immorality, and going after strange flesh, are set forth as an example of, Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So Jude's saying, remember Sodom and Gomorrah? That's an example of what happens when you behave in that manner. Peter says the same thing. Continuing on in Second Peter where we left off. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemned them with an overthrow making them an example of unto those that should after live ungodly. So let me ask you something. The Bible in two places, the epistle of Jude, the second epistle of Peter, tells us that the behavior of Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment that came upon them is an example of what will happen to those nations, those societies that behave in the manner of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
So the question is, what should we be expecting based on how Western civilization behaves today? Let me go to the book of Jasher. So this is an ancient book. It's written, uh, it's referred to twice as a historical narrative, not necessarily as scripture, but just a historical book. You see it referenced, uh, I believe, in Second Samuel a couple or once, and then in Chronicles once. So, I just want to read you this short story. Kind of, um, there's many stories in here about Sodom and Gomorrah and about the things they were doing. Some of it was sexual perversion. Some of it was just cruelty to the poor. All these things, but just to give you an idea of how, what their view of sexuality was. And how casual they were towards it. So we'll go to the book of Jasher, chapter 18, starting with verse 11. In those days, all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and of the five cities were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And they provoked the Lord with their abominations. And they strengthened in aging abominably and scornfully before the Lord. And their wickedness and crimes were in those days great before the Lord. And they had in their land a very extensive valley about a half a day's walk. And in it there were fountains of water and a great deal of herbage surrounding the water. And all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah went there four times in a year with their wives and their children and all belonging to them, and they rejoiced there with timbrels and dances. And in the time of rejoicing, they would all rise and lay hold of their neighbors' wives and some the virgin daughters of their neighbors, and they enjoyed them. And each man saw his wife and his daughters in the hands of his neighbor and did not say a word. And they did this so from morning to night. And they afterward returned home, each man to his house and each woman to her tent. And so they always did four times in a year. This is just one example of their casual attitude towards sexuality. And I'm here to tell you, I don't think it's any different in our day. Not at all. If anything, we might be worse in some ways. That's not all that Jude says about it. Remember, he says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh. What's he mean by strange flesh? He's talking about things that are unnatural. Paul deals with unnatural sexual behavior in the book of Romans. If you go to one Romans 1, 26 through 27, For this cause talking about how they refused to retain God in their knowledge. For this cause, God gave them, op- gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Paul's very clear about this. 
Now, back to the angels reserved to judgment. Before we move on and start talking about the apostate teachers, we're going to reference the book of Enoch twice here. Now, the book of Enoch, first off, was included in the Ethiopian Bible long, long before the English Bible was even conceived. Okay, so it predates the English version of the Bible. For the, furthermore, there was multiple copies of it found with the Dead Sea Scrolls, and it was exactly what was in the uh, Ethiopian Bible. So the version of Enoch that we already had, this one was the same, except it had some additional chapters, but we'll, the parts that we did have were identical So the first parts of the book. We're going to see Jude quotes directly out of it. So apparently he thought it was worth reading uh, because he's going to quote directly from it. But before we get to that part, let me just remind us, both Peter and Jude are talking about these angels. They were cast down, um, delivered into chains, and reserved for the day of judgment. I'm going to read that part out of the book of Enoch, which is in chapter 10. And then we're going to go, once we get to it in Jude, the part that Jude quotes, We'll go look at it real quick. So if you go to chapter 10 in the book of Enoch, it says, Then said the Most High, this, this is after all this has already happened. The angels have come down. They've intermingled with women, produced giant children, so forth and so on. Then said the Most High, And the Holy and the Great One spake and sent Uriel to the sons of Lamech and said to them, Go to Noah and tell him, in my name hide thyself, and reveal to him the end that is approaching, that the whole earth will be destroyed. And the deluge is about to come upon the whole earth, and will destroy all that is on it. And now instruct him that he may escape, and his seed may be preserved for all generations of the world. And the Lord, and again the Lord said to Raphael, Bind Azuel hand and foot, and cast him into the darkness, and make an opening in the desert, which is in Dudadel, Dudadel, and cast him thereon, and place him upon rough and jagged rocks, and cover him with darkness, and let him abide there forever, and cover his face that he may not see light. And on the day of the great judgment he shall be cast into fire, and heal the earth which, is, which the angels have corrupted, and proclaim the healing of the earth, that they may heal the plague, and that all the children of men may not perish through all the secret things that the watchers have disclosed and have taught their sons. And the whole earth has been corrupted through the works that were taught by Azuzel. To him ascribe all sin. And Gabriel said to the Lord, Proceed against the bastards and reprobates, and against the children of fornication. And destroy the children of fornication and the children of the watchers from amongst men. And cause them to go forth and send them once again one day, one against the other, that they may destroy each other in battle for the length of days they shall not have. So this is just kind of the part where the judgment is brought down. Not only because of the sexual immorality and the, just that whole filthy thing that took place. But also, according to the book of Enoch, it was these angelic beings that taught man the skill of war, 
uh, taught women to adorn themselves with makeup and these kind of things to be able to uh, seduce um, just all kinds of things that that God had not intended for man to learn, according to the book of Enoch. We'll come back to that here in just a minute. Let's continue on with the book of Jude before we run out of time here. So Jude's dealt with apostasy issues where people have perverted the grace of God, specifically when it comes to lasciviousness, sexual immorality. He's given historical examples of apostasy and how God destroyed either those places or people as a result. And now he's going to deal with apostate apostate teachers. Verse 8, likewise. Also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when he contended with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. By the way, this is the only place in the Bible where this is talked about. This Apparently, the devil and the archangel Michael, according to Jude, argued over the body of Moses. But that's not really the point he's making. The point that he's making is that when that happened... The archangel didn't take it amongst himself. He said, the Lord rebuke you. He was reminding us that vengeance belongs to God and that power belongs to God, right? But still, interesting story. I have a apocryphal book. I believe it's called The Ascension of Moses, or I forget what it's called, but it. I think it's the only place that that we can find where that's even addressed even a little bit. Uh, as of as of right now, this argument between Michael the archangel and the devil disputing about Moses's body, which raises all kinds of questions, you know, like why is the devil interested in Moses's body? It just the by there's some our history has some wild things. We live in a world where history number one isn't even true because the history books have been rewritten. What you believe about what has happened in the past is garbage. Just going to tell you that right now. We've been deceived. There's been a massive deception campaign going on for a hundred years about everything that you believe. And unfortunately, this just happens to be the most easily deceived generation that has ever existed. In fact, I am astounded at how successful the enemy has been at creating this hive mind of lunacy. So much incredible things has existed in our history. These first human beings that God created were not cavemen. They were not stupid. They were brilliant they had technology beyond what we have. How do you think things like the pyramids and all of these things that we can't recreate today got here? No, it wasn't ancient aliens, like the History Channel tells you. So much that we've been fooled on. And we're so quick to be like, but the, we're so quick to worship the modern-day prophets of Baal, known as the scientists, the sorcerers of our day. And say, well, the scientists say this. Oh, well, they said that this bone was 500,000 years old or 5 million years. It's like, come on. Come on. 
Why are you so quick to believe nonsense? Why are you so quick to believe foolishness? Verse 10. But to these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beast, and those things they corrupt themselves. He's talking about apostate teachers. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and have ran greedily after the error of Balaam. Remember, Balaam sold out his people, right, for money. Sounds familiar in the church today. For reward, and perished in the nang saying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of the winds, trees whose fruit withered, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots. In other words, he's saying they're worthless. Verse 13, raging waves of sea foaming of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and all of their hatred speeches which godly sinners have spoken against him. So there's where he quotes directly out of the book of Enoch. So just to prove it, I'm going to read Enoch starting with verse 1 till we get to verse 9, which is the part that Jude is quoting right there. Here's what he says. This is Enoch, the very first chapter, verse 1. The words of the blessing of Enoch, wherewith he blessed the elect and righteous who will be living in the day of tribulation when all the wicked and godless are to be removed. And he took up this parable and said, Enoch, a righteous man whose eyes were opened by God, saw a vision of the Holy One in the heavens, which the angel showed me. And from them I heard everything, and from them I understood as I saw, but not for this generation, but for a remote one which is to come. Concerning the elect, I said, and I took up my parable concerning them, the Holy Great One will come forth from his dwelling. The eternal God will tread upon the earth, even on Mount Sinai, and appear from his camp, and appear in the strength of his might from the heavens of heavens. And he shall be, and all shall be smitten with fear, and the watchers shall quake. The watchers are the angels who were supposed to be looking over humanity, but instead abandoned their habitation and came down. Okay. The great fear and trembling shall seize them unto the ends of the earth. And the high mountains shall be shaken, and the high hills shall be made low, and shall melt like wax before a flame. And the earth shall be wholly rent and sunder, and all that is upon the earth shall perish. And there shall be a judgment upon all men. But with the righteous he will make peace, and he will protect the elect. And mercy shall be upon them, and they shall belong to God, and they shall be prospered, and they shall be blessed he will help them all and the light shall appear unto them and he will make peace with them here's the part that Judas quoting and behold he cometh with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute execute judgment upon all and to destroy all the ungodly and to convict all flesh of the works of their ungodliness which they have ungodly committed 
and of all hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch saying, there's a day coming, not my generation, but a far remote one, when there's going to be tribulation on the earth. And God's going to come down and he's going to destroy everything. Even these hills will melt like a, like, what does he say, like wax before a flame. But he's going to preserve his elect. He's going to make peace with the elect and preserve them. He'll show mercy to them. He'll bless them. He'll help them. He'll be a light unto them. That's what Enoch is talking about. And then Jude's quoting directly out of that. So you can, you know, there's, there's all kind of theologians and people who just want to pretend like, no, Jude's, Jude's not quoting that. And before, they used to act like this was made up, like this comparison, but then the Dead Sea Scrolls came along. And we found multiple copies of the same book of Enoch in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which confirmed what many had been saying long before, that Jude's quoting directly out of that book. It's kind of hard to deny now, now that we have official copies that, are, that predate Christianity that point to this. Honestly, I just don't see how anybody can try to work, wiggle their way out of this without just being absurd. But I digress. Finishing up with Jude, he's continuing on right now his complaint against these apostate teachers. These murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, verse 16, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's person in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after, un, after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. They're fake. They're false teachers. They mock true Christianity. They mock God's people. They're a mockery. They go after their own ungodly lust. And then Jude ends with some encouragement. Here it is, and we're going to be done. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In other words, he's saying keep the faith. Don't falter. Keep believing. And of some who have compassion making a difference, Here's something that's interesting, because people act like you shouldn't preach hellfire and brimstone. Not according to Jude. He's saying some you can do that kind of kid glove stuff with, but others you need to snatch out of the fire. Let me read what he actually says. And some having compassion making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Jude has a problem with sin and having a casual attitude towards it, doesn't he? Him and James both. He's the brother of James. What does James say? I'll show you my faith by what I do. Like, don't talk about it, right? Be about it. I'm not just going to tell you that I am a Christian. I'm going to show you that I am by my actions because actions matter. Faith without works is dead. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. You see, the strength is not within ourselves. We need to understand that. You don't have the strength alone to resist temptation, to walk in righteousness and holiness. You can only do it through the power of Christ. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory with exceeding joy. Here's the good news. You know, if you keep the faith, you believe, even though you're not faultless, you're presented to God as being faultless because of the blood of Christ. That's the good news. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. That, my friends, is the book of Jude. And in my opinion, that's how it ought to be taught. With some truth. Without being afraid to point out what the scriptures clearly say. Without being afraid to acknowledge that Jude is obviously quoting and speaking on what's written in the book of Enoch. And likewise, so is Peter. Not being afraid to say sin is sin and you should walk in a certain way. Not perfectly. I'm not who I want to be, but I'm not who I used to be. Increasingly so. If you have a casual attitude towards sin, you pervert the grace of God. That's my words for you this morning. I pray that you've been blessed, strengthened, encouraged. Please consider supporting the mission of truth. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.